You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. That's Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And obviously we are continuing our study of the book of Mark. And this evening we come to the very famous account of Jesus cleansing a leper. And this is one of my personal favorite miracles of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Second to the resurrection, obviously. Um, But something you'll realize as you read through the Gospel of Mark is it's a book that's a little bit light on the words of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. By the way, can you all hear me okay? Fans a little loud? Seen a couple people, yes. Steven, you want to handle that and switch the fans down a little bit? Thanks, bud. Turn the volume up. Oh. Well, this is fun. All right. Oh, okay, okay. I'll try to step into the mic a little bit more. All right. So, like I said, something that you'll realize as you read through the Gospel of Mark is that it's a book that's a little bit light on the words of Jesus. Uh, it, it only has a few lengthy discourses from the mouth of the Savior. Uh, just for the record, if you want to see more of Jesus' words and more of his teachings, then you'll want to look at the other Gospels. I would recommend Luke uh, and John personally. Um, but Mark's Gospel is primarily one of action. It focuses a lot more on what Jesus did and less on what he said. You could say in many regards, in many respects, that Mark's gospel is a book of miracles, right? Mark is focused on what Jesus did, but why that so much? I think it's because Mark is concerned with showing us that Jesus is the prophesied servant of the Lord, right? That Isaiah talks about so much, the servant of the Lord. Mark's trying to highlight for us that Christ has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as we'll read in Mark 10, 45, I believe it is. So again, Mark really focuses on Jesus' miracles. Now, last week we saw a little bit about the purpose of Christ's miracles. And in doing so, we learned that the Bible doesn't really use the word miracles. Rather, it uses the word signs often. Um, And what's the purpose of a sign? We talked about this last week. A sign points to something beyond itself, right? Like that illustration, Portsmouth, 20 miles ahead. The sign is not pointing to itself. It's pointing to what you're wanting to get to. It's pointing you to Portsmouth. So a sign always points to something of greater significance. And the same goes for Jesus' signs. But we saw last week that Jesus' miracles were always pointing back to who he is. They're always giving evidence that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. That he's God in human flesh. They were evidence for the people that they should listen to him. So, Jesus' miracles are indeed meant to teach us something. They back up his authority as the Son of God. But I think that they're meant to teach us more than that. It's not just to back up Jesus' authority. I believe that the, the miracles of Christ are meant to teach us, first, who he is. Like, when, when I say that, I mean facets of his character. In the miracles of Christ, I, begin, I think we see what the character of God is like. As Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. 
in his interactions with the sick and how he heals them and the demon-possessed and how he heals them and his miracles, we see different facets of the character of God. And secondarily, I think we see what Jesus came to do in his miracles. So we see who he is and what he came to do. We begin to see aspects of his work that he had come to do as Messiah. And I say all that to say this, that the Holy Spirit did not inspire Mark to record all these miracles so that we could just read them like we read a newspaper for information. You ever done that? Like, ah, yes, Jesus healed a blind man. Uh, That's great news for me to know. Or yes, he healed a leper of leprosy. Moving on. Right? That's not how we're meant to read these miracles. Because the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to record them because there is something for us to learn under the surface. There's something for us to learn about our Savior and his work that he came to do. There's something spiritual for us to see in all of the miracles of Christ. So, while Mark's gospel is in many ways a book of miracles, that doesn't mean that it's not a book of teaching. Very much, there's a lot of teaching in the miracles of Christ. There's much for us to learn about the Lord Jesus from the things he did. There's a lot of spiritual truth for us to see and to rejoice in and believe. And this evening, with Jesus' cleansing of a leper, we're going to see some of those things. We're going to see that Jesus is a compassionate Savior, in case you've forgotten. But he's a compassionate Savior. He's a Savior who pities sinful people who come to him. We're going to see that he is a Savior who is always willing to make sinners clean, who come to him in humble faith. We're going to see he's a Savior who is patient with his people, even when they sin. And we're going to see that he's a Savior who ultimately had to trade places with sinners in order to make them clean. So with that said, let's go ahead and read our passage, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, And said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our great God, we come before you this evening and ask that you would bless the ministry of your word. We ask that you would make us teachable, that you would make our hearts malleable so that we might be transformed by your spirit as he works alongside your word. Please, God, give us eyes to see the spiritual truths that are contained in the things that our Lord Jesus did. And grant to us hearts that rejoice in who Christ is and the great salvation that he freely gives to all who come to him in faith. Please bless us and strengthen us. Please encourage us and and even grant us repentance this evening. And we know that you're good to hear and answer this prayer because we ask for it in your son's name and for his sake. Amen. 
All right, so our text tells us that Jesus healed. More specifically, he cleansed a leper, which is something interesting for you to note. With a leper, Jesus always cleanses a leper. He doesn't heal them. They're always made clean. But he cleanses a leper. Now, if you don't know, a leper is someone who has a skin disease. And there's some things that you need to understand about leprosy. You're going to get a bit of a history lesson and maybe a tad bit of a medical one here for a minute. Uh, But there are some things that you need to know about leprosy if you're going to understand the significance of what we just read. right? In the ancient world, leprosy was one of the worst things that could happen to a person. I would argue leprosy was probably worse than dying. It's one of the worst things that can happen to you. Now, when you and I today in the 21st century think of leprosy, we're probably thinking of what's called Hansen's disease, right? If you were to Google pictures of leprosy, if you're like me and you like to Google pictures of diseases, because I'm strange, but if you were to Google pictures of leprosy, this is what you're going to find. You're going to find Hansen's disease. And that disease is, is a disease where, where you'll see people covered in sores, covered in lesions all over their body, missing fingers and toes, gnarled up appendages, uh, maybe missing an eye. Sometimes they'll go blind or they'll be missing entire limbs sometimes. It looks awful. But what happens with Hansen's disease is that the person gets this bacteria. It's airborne usually, like through coughing or sneezing, that kind of thing. And what the bacteria does in the person's system over time is that it actually numbs the diseased person. Uh, they, They can't feel anything. Uh, And and with their body's natural defense system, right, the ability to feel pain, with their nerves numbed and their natural defense system of the body gone, what happens is the leper begins to hurt themselves in various ways, but they can't feel it. I'll illustrate this for you. Uh, Someone who has leprosy could be cooking over a fire and accidentally stick their foot in the flame and not realize it because they can't feel it. And if you were to do that for an extended period of time, there would be irreparable damage done to your foot, and you could actually lose your foot or lose your leg due to infection, those kinds of things. There are actually accounts of children uh, working with sharp tools and accidentally cutting themselves down to the bone and having no idea. Like 10-year-old, I was reading an account of a 10-year-old kid who cut his finger down to the bone, and there was no tears, there was no crying. He didn't realize what he did until he looked down and saw blood gushing out of his hand. But over time, you can see then that this leads to all kinds of open sores all over the person's body and eroding of fingers and limbs and different parts of the body because they can't feel what they're doing. I was reading uh, from one doctor where he called leprosy a painless hell. It was horrible, horrible disease. And in the ancient world, there was no cure for it. And in today, in a lot of third world countries, there are a lot of people who will never receive any kind of medicine for leprosy. It's a terrible thing, even to this day. But something interesting for us to note is that in accord with Leviticus 13, actually, if you want to write that down, if you want to read Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14, you'll read a lot about leprosy, how to identify it if you were an Old Testament priest, the kind of offerings you need uh, to bring to the temple for someone to be declared clean after their leprosy had gone away, if that were to happen. It's like, a dermat- it's like an ancient dermatology manual. It's kind of Strange read from what you'd think might be in the Bible. Uh, But something interesting for us to note is that in accord with Leviticus 13's description of leprosy, there are actually up to 72 different kind of skin disorders that fit in that category. According to ancient rabbinic tradition, there was up to 72 different kinds of skin disorders that would fit under leprosy. So I say that to say this. When the Bible says leprosy, 
It could refer to many different kinds of skin diseases. And Mark doesn't tell us if this man has Hansen's disease or not. Uh, but Luke's account in Luke chapter 5, there's a parallel account here. In Luke 5, Luke tells us that this man was full of leprosy. This man is ate up with this skin disease. He's covered from head to toe. You could spot him across the way. This man is clearly a leper. But the worst part of leprosy wasn't the disease itself. I, I would argue that's not the worst part of it. It was the fact that the Old Testament ceremonial law declared a leper to be unclean. Not just sick. Not someone necessarily only in need of a doctor, but someone who is unclean. Because the leper was unclean, that means that the leper is not allowed to live within walled cities. Right? He had to live outside the camp. People weren't allowed in that day under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they weren't allowed to come in contact with things that are unclean. You weren't allowed to touch a leper. And a leper couldn't touch you, lest you become unclean. If you were diagnosed by a priest that you had leprosy, then your life was basically over because now you're pronounced ceremonially unclean. You'd have to move out of your house, leave your family behind, quit your job, and live off charity for the rest of your life, and move out of the public square. Not only that, but you were no longer fit to enter the temple for worship, for the big festivals. You could still maybe go to a synagogue if the community was willing to make a special screen for you to sit behind. But you couldn't be part of temple worship. You were basically cut off from the community of Israel. You couldn't be a part of the daily life of the, of the people of God. You could only go within so many feet of someone who was a leper, according to rabbinic tradition. There would be no human contact for you, or at least very little for the rest of your life. You would live by yourself, all alone, or if there were other lepers around, you might live in a leper colony. To have leprosy made you an outcast, not fit to dwell among the people of God, not fit for the temple, and unable to live a real life. Again, leprosy was one of the worst things that could happen to you in the ancient world. The ancient historian Josephus, maybe some of you guys have heard of Josephus, he actually once wrote that someone with leprosy was a living corpse your life, again, your life was over. You're alone. And by and large, society counted you as a walking dead man. How, how terrible it was to have leprosy is summed up in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. We read this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So even right down to the clothes that you wear, having to wear torn clothing, not being allowed to fix your hair, and having to wear a veil over your mouth, everyone would know that you're a leper. There is no hiding this. Not only that, but if you're within shouting distance of human beings, you have to yell, unclean. Some rabbis would even make lepers carry around a bell to announce that they're there. And the people would probably run to the other side of the street, maybe run away. They, they're, they're terrified. They don't want to come in contact with leprosy. They don't want to get it. They don't want to become unclean. 
The leper was alienated, unfit for anything, unclean, in and of himself. He was outside the camp, cut off. Now, I want to be clear. The man in our text was a real person. I'm not trying to treat the miracles of Christ as if they're parables. Right? That's not what I'm doing here. But the man in this text was a real person. He really did have leprosy. This was the reality of his life, what we've just talked about. But is this not also a picture of a sinner? Leprosy is a very fitting picture of human beings in their natural, unconverted state, especially whenever you consider that in the Old Testament there are multiple accounts of God in his wrath striking someone with leprosy as a curse. Moses' sister Miriam, a couple of different kings who acted wickedly, God cursed them with leprosy. So again, considering that especially, we see that leprosy is a very fitting picture of all humanity in its unconverted state. In our sins, apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are cut off, are we not? Cut off from God. We are alienated from his salvation. We are strangers to his promises. We are strangers to the covenant of grace in Christ. We're not fit to enter the presence of God. In our sin, we are not fit, and we are not only unfit, but we are unable to worship God. We are, so to speak, outside of the camp of God's people in our natural state. We're not counted among the people of God. We're outside of His protection and under His righteous wrath because we've broken His law. We are spiritually unclean, in his sight. We are spiritual lepers because of our sins. God's standard declares us unclean and unfit for his presence. And apart from faith in Christ, people, all people, are walking dead men. Paul says as much in Ephesians 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and skipping on a bit, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, dead in your sins, walking dead people. Again, we're worse in our unconverted state than physical lepers. We are spiritual lepers, unclean because of sin, with no cure that any mere human being can give us. And the worst part of this, and I want you to listen to me very clearly, the worst part of this is that most people don't realize that they have spiritual leprosy. And, and this can happen even to professing Christians, so listen. People deceive themselves by looking at some good in their lives. And they think, I'm okay. Me and God are fine. I pay my taxes. I've raised my kids. I don't steal. I've never killed anyone. I go to work. I try to be a decent person and treat people how I would want to be treated. I'm good with God. And as they do that, they ignore the glaring sin and uncleanliness in their life. They stare so hard at these things that they consider good in their lives and they ignore the lust in their heart. They ignore the acts of sexual immorality that they've committed. They ignore the hatred in their heart that they have for people that Jesus compares to murder in the heart. They ignore their pride and their arrogance thinking that they're better than others. 
They ignore the fact that they grumble and complain against God because of their lot in life. They, they ignore the fact that they refuse to be content with what God's given them. That they refuse to give God the respect and primacy, first place in their life that He deserves. They ignore the fact that they do not perfectly submit to His law. And that more often than not, they live life as they see fit. People ignore their uncleanliness and don't believe that they're spiritual lepers. So many people refuse to acknowledge their spiritual disease. And it can even happen to people who have been Christians for so long that God has graciously granted us victory over sin. So then we begin to look at our accomplishments and forget it's only by the grace of God that we are what we are. And we forget that we still by nature are spiritual lepers. But so many people refuse to acknowledge that they're sick. So many refuse to acknowledge that they're a sinner in need of a savior. So what do they do? They refuse to come to Christ in faith and repentance because they think they don't need him. Again, deadly words, I'll be fine. I can do it. I'm not sick. Surely God thinks well of me. Look at my life. But that's not the case with the leper in our text. He knows he's sick. He knows he has leprosy. He knows he's unclean. So he goes to Jesus. Verse 40, verse 40 starts, and a leper came to him. Came to him. It's stunning in and of itself that this leper would come to Jesus. Matthew tells us that, there's a parallel account in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew tells us that Jesus is in a city, not a walled city, so the leper would be allowed to actually come into this city. And Jesus is surrounded by people, and this leper comes to him. This man defies every tradition in order to come to Jesus. He doesn't care what the people surrounding him think. And there's no doubt, you're crazy if you don't think this, the people in the crowd are angry. They're scattering. They're probably yelling at this man, trying to get away from him. They're angry with him for coming to Jesus. But this man does not care. He doesn't care. He knows that Jesus is his only hope for being made clean. He knows that there is no human cure for what he has. But this man has also heard about this Jesus as he goes from town to town in Galilee preaching. And he knows that Jesus is his only hope to be clean. So he comes. Let me make a quick note here. I'm going to do this a lot. This is how you come to Christ. Not caring what people may say or think about you for coming to him. Not caring about being mocked for it or hated for it. Not caring about what any mere human being thinks of your coming to Christ. You come to him knowing that he is the only hope that you have to be made clean. Period. If you've not come to him like that, then you've not come to him. He's my only hope that I have. So I don't care what the world thinks. I must have him. I must go to him. But this leper comes to Jesus. You can, in reading the text, you see the humility in this leper. It says, imploring him and kneeling. He's imploring Jesus. That means he's begging him. And he's kneeling. Matthew says that the leper actually gets on his face before Jesus. Maybe in worship, we're not sure. This man has no pride left. Oh, please hear that. He has no pride left. He knows he is unclean. He's broken. He's broken. He's sick of his disease. He wants to be free so that he can have real life. 
This short phrase paints a picture of this leper imploring him and kneeling. Paints a picture of this man on his knees in front of the Lord Jesus begging him, saying, help, please, please help me. Nobody can fix me, but I've heard that you can. Please help me. This is the kind of humility that we must approach the Lord Jesus with. On our knees, as it were, recognizing our sin, owning that there's nothing that we can do to fix ourselves, that we're infected with this disease called sin, and we need medicine from the Redeemer. This is how you come. Please help me. And notice the faith of this man. He comes to Christ in faith. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He believes that Jesus can do this. Note that. He says, you can. And I want to be clear about something just real quick. In the Gospels, sometimes Jesus heals people and he mentions their faith playing a part in it. But often, he heals people and there is no mention of the person having faith at all. Right? Faith is not the determining factor in Jesus physically healing somebody during his ministry. Even today, Faith is not necessarily the determining factor in the Lord Jesus healing somebody supernaturally in providence. Faith is not the determining factor in healing someone physically. And I want to be clear about this because I know that we have some people who deal with chronic pain and sickness in our congregation. I want to be clear. It is not because of a lack of faith that you have not been healed. That's a lie that you'll hear from alleged faith healers that you'll see on television who are just trying to get your money. And then when you don't get healed, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. That's a vile, godless lie from the pit of hell that Satan has inspired these people to tell. Our God heals as he wills to heal. And if you're sick, then God, for some reason, has saw fit to allow you to suffer with this sickness, and he'll heal you when, you, when he sees fit. Maybe in this life, maybe in the life to come. But again, I want to encourage you. This is not the point of the sermon, but I want to encourage you, if you're sick, that he loves you. He has good reason for allowing you to suffer. We might not know what that is. God rarely peels the veil back so that we can see his plans. But I want to remind you, Christ has proven his love for you and giving himself up for you. Our Father has proven his love for you and giving his Son in your place on a cross to save you. So, again, not all healing is predicated on faith. But I think that this is meant to be a picture of how spiritual lepers come to Christ. By faith. It's the only way that we approach him. But he comes in faith. He believes that Jesus can heal him. He says, you can. But notice what he says before then. If you will. If you will, you can. I don't doubt your ability. I know you can make me clean. But he's not sure if Jesus is willing to do it. He knows that Jesus is more than able to heal. But he's not sure if he will. Maybe he's thinking, will this Jesus have mercy on me? I don't know. He doesn't owe it to me. Maybe he'll think I'm too disgusting in my leprosy. Maybe he'll think that I'm too far gone. I'm full of leprosy, as Luke says. 
Maybe he won't accept me. Maybe he helps people, but he doesn't help people like me. Maybe he doesn't heal lepers. I know he can do it for others, but maybe he isn't willing to make you clean. Make me clean, rather. I have to ask you this if you're an unbeliever in our midst. Is this you? Where you look at your life and all of your sins and the awful things that you've done to people and the awful sins that you've committed against God and you think to yourself, how can Jesus forgive me? I've made such a mess of my life. It's my fault. I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. I know he can forgive. I know he has forgiven others, but will he forgive me? Is this you, Christian? All this happens to us too. You're a believer. You've come to Christ in faith. You profess faith in the Lord Jesus. You trust in him to save you. You strive to obey him. Yet you sin. This is all of us. You know that you sin every day. And listen, I'm going to be real with you. You're a fool if you think that you can keep the law of God perfectly for even a second. You do sin every day. But you begin to think to yourself, I have sinned the same way over and over. I swore last time that I wouldn't do it again, and yet here I am today. Surely his forgiveness has run out. Surely his mercy has limits. I've been asked that so many times as a pastor. Doesn't God have like a limit set on us for how many times he'll forgive us for the same thing? Maybe you're thinking that. Surely his mercy has limits. I'm not worthy to be forgiven. Listen to me. Your greatest fears are true. They're true. You aren't worthy. God saved the American church from the thought that human beings are worthy of God. You're not worthy. You have made a mess of your life. Your sin is your fault. You don't deserve his forgiveness. You have done awful things. You're a sinner. You deserve eternal condemnation from God. But, says Jesus, I will. Hear that? I will. Will you heal me? Yes! I will. He is always willing to forgive sinners who come to him in faith. He will never turn away even the most vile leper. Never turn you away. There is no sin that he cannot forgive if you will come to him in faith, believing that he will forgive you. There's no mess that he cannot fix. There's no person too far gone. There's no outcast too far away. There is no sinner that he can't save. He's a mighty Savior. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. The one who can make the unclean sinner clean in the eyes of Almighty God. He is willing to forgive you. His mercy is an endless ocean and one drop will make you clean. He'll never ever turn anyone away who comes to him in faith. Desiring the forgiveness of sins. No matter how many times, Christian, that you've come over and over over the same thing. He says, I will. Our text tells us that Jesus Moved with pity. Stretched out his hand and touched the man. And quickly here we see the compassion of our Savior. He doesn't have to touch the man, does he? With a word he created all things. 
but he touched him anyway. Jesus knows that this man has known very little, if any, human contact since he was diagnosed with leprosy. But Jesus, in grace upon grace, touches this man. A touch of pity. He loves this man, so he touches him. Jesus looks upon those who come to him. Hear me, sinner, that's all of us. He looks upon those who come to him and has pity on them. What a savior. He has compassion on us. And here the word pity means something like was moved in his innermost, like in his gut he was moved. It's a gut-wrenching pity. That's how our Savior looks upon the sin-sick who come to him by faith. He's compassionate towards you. I want you to know that. Behold your Savior, Christian. Unbeliever, behold your only hope. This is the character of our God. One who looks upon you with compassion if you'll come to him in faith. Let me encourage you, come boldly then. Come boldly to this Savior. Approach Him in humble boldness. He beckons you, come. He will have pity on you. He will not turn you away. But see what Jesus says to the man. He touches him and then says, as we've seen already, I will be clean. Be clean. What Jesus does here is He declares something over the man. He commands him to be clean. He, in a very real, literal way, he speaks cleanliness into the man's body. Be clean. You must be clean because I, the almighty son of God, says be clean. And the next verse, verse 42 says, and immediately, immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. With a word, with the word of his power, the Lord Jesus makes the man clean. And this man's being made clean, again, was instantaneous. Immediately. God, the Son of God, speaks a word. And all disease is removed from him. If that's not a picture of our justification, then I don't know what is. When I say justification, if that's a new term for you, I mean our being declared righteous by God through faith in Christ. The Lord Jesus says, be clean, and the man is made clean. He's instantaneously transformed. He's immediately given his life back. He's immediately made fit for worship. He's now allowed to enter the temple. He's immediately fit to enter into life with the people of God. Whatever disease he had is now taken from him, and he now dwells among the people of God. This is what happens when a sinner comes to Christ in faith with a word. By the declaration of Almighty God, these things become a spiritual reality for the sinner. By a word, be clean. You're washed clean by the blood of Christ, forgiven of your sins, all because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And not only that, but with a word, you're given the perfect righteousness of Christ. You're, as we confessed, robed in the righteousness of Christ. When a sinner looks to Christ in faith, immediately God declares, be clean. And the sinner is instantaneously justified. Right with God for now and forevermore. The sinner is forgiven, period. The one who was formerly unclean, a stranger to God, alienated from God's covenant, alienated from God's promises, and cut off from God's people, is now clean and counted among them. Children of wrath now made into 
children of God. And again, I can't stress this. This is done instantly. The second a sinner lays hold of Christ by faith, the Lord Jesus does not say once you've tr trusted in him, all right, now let me put you on this path, and if you walk this path, then one day you'll be justified. No, he says, look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. The moment you look to him with the eye of faith, justified. Again, praise God, what a perfect picture of our justification. Be clean, and you're made clean. But then something happens that we might think is a little bit strange. Verse 33, 43 and 44, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus gets deadly serious with this leper. It says, charged him sternly. Right? The, the Greek word has a root that means like he snorted like a war horse. Like he gets deadly serious with this guy. And he says, be quiet. Don't tell anyone what I've done here. Jesus doesn't want this leper to go around telling people that he's been healed by Jesus. And we talked about this last week, this messianic secret that Jesus doesn't want people to flock to him only for miracles. And he doesn't want a political movement centered around him because the Jews misunderstand what the Messiah would come to do, which is to save sinners. Again, they were expecting a political nation state. Jesus doesn't want his ministry of teaching and his road to the cross to be hindered. Again, his focus is on his mission to save sinners and preach the gospel. So he says, tell no one what I've done. But Jesus then tells the leper to go to the priest, which means he's telling him, go to Jerusalem, go to the temple, and offer the sacrifices there that Moses commands. The sacrifices you'll find in Leviticus 14 that cleanse the lepers are to offer. And this shows us a couple of things. One, it shows us Jesus had such a high respect for the Old Testament law. Even though he knows he's about to abolish it by bringing the new covenant, Jesus has respect for it. But Jesus gives an even greater reason for sending the man to the temple. He says, for a proof to the priests. That's why I want you to go to the temple. In that time, there was no cure for leprosy. And the priests knew that. Sometimes leprosy would go away on its own, but that was incredibly rare. Jesus knows that the priests are going to question the man about how he came to be healed, and then it would be appropriate for the man to tell him, Jesus healed me. This is a proof to the priest, an undeniable proof to the priest, that Messiah has come. These same priests who would reject him later. Jesus says, go show yourself as a proof to them. Again, no mere human being can cleanse leprosy, but here is this Jesus of Nazareth who can undeniable proof of his deity undeniable proof that he is no mere human being but rather he is the God man the son of God sent to save the people of God this proof is testimony to the religious leaders that Jesus is the Christ and they ought to receive him as Lord let me make a note here for you the same is true for us please hear me and I mean this sometimes I think we don't think about the word of God this way here, we have the same proof of who Jesus is. You just read it in the infallible word of God. 
We have this God-inspired record of what Jesus has done. We have the word of God testifying to Jesus being the Son of God. And if you do not receive him as Lord and Savior, then this book, the Holy Scriptures, and your own consciences will testify against you on the day of judgment. And apart from Christ, you'll be condemned in your sins and cast to hell. So again, let me implore you, trust in him. Receive him. Here is your proof. The word of God testifies to who he is as the one who can save, as the one who is Lord, as the one who must be trusted in. Run to him. But does this leper who has been graciously healed by Jesus, does he obey? No. He doesn't. Verse 45, our final verse. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. King James Version says he blazed it abroad so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Some people, foolishly, try to explain away the man's disobedience. They say, well, he was just so excited that he had to tell people what Jesus had done for him. And no doubt this man probably thought that he was doing Jesus a favor by telling people what Jesus did. He was trying to make Jesus famous and tell people, go to him, look to him. He was praising Jesus all over town. But there's no excuse for disobedience. Is there? Ever? He broke the command of Christ and he sinned. He should have kept his mouth shut as the Lord Jesus said and went straight to Jerusalem and told the priests. But he rebelled. He sinned. But I want you to see here the great grace and patience of our Lord. Jesus knew He's God. He knew this man would disobey him. He knew the hearts of men, and he healed him anyway. There's your Savior. What kind of grace is that? That Jesus would already know that this man was going to sin against him, and yet made him clean anyway. That's astounding. This gives us a picture of the heart of Christ, that he is patient with his people. Listen, Christian, Jesus knew every sin that you would ever commit, past, present, and future, to the day you die, and he died for you anyway. He knew all the rebellion you would have after you came to him in faith initially and were justified, and he died for you anyway. He saved you anyway. He knew what he was buying. He knows all the ways that you're going to fail him in the future, even now and in the moments after now. And yet he died for you to accomplish your salvation anyway. This is the love of Christ for you. Now, I want to be clear, this isn't a license for you to sin. God forbid that you would do such a vile thing as abuse his grace in such a way. But this is a beautiful text for us to see and stand in awe of our gracious and patient Savior. He healed the man anyway, knowing his future sin, and he did the same for you. He's not like us, is he? He's not like us. He's so kind. There's no one like this Jesus who has unending mercy for his people. One last thing from this text. Our passage started, how did it start? Jesus is in a city. And the leper is an outcast. Jesus was on the inside. And the leper is on the outside. And Jesus heals the man. And he makes him clean. 
But by the end of our story, because of the leper's disobedience, Jesus is now unable to enter a city and has to be out in desolate places. What's happened? Now Jesus is on the outside. And this leper's on the inside. He traded in places. That's a picture of what Jesus ultimately came to do. He came to take our place. He came to, be, he came to become the outcast and the unclean one in our place. He came, as Isaiah says, to be numbered amongst the transgressors. That's exactly what he did on the cross. He took our sins on himself and traded us places at Calvary. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God in our place, punished in our place as if he were a sinner. And he did this so that we could become the people of God, so that spiritual lepers could be made clean by his blood. He took our sins, traded us places, took the wrath of God in our place, and now gave us his righteousness so that we could become children of God instead of children of wrath. This is the great exchange, and we ought to praise God for it. He traded you places, Christian. He came into the world to make the unclean clean. He came to accomplish the forgiveness of sinners, and he knew it would cost him personally. It would cost him his life, but he did it anyway. And God raised him from the dead so that we might know that we've been fully accepted because he took our place. So see your Savior. Behold the Son of God who has come to make you clean. Look to him. Look to him in faith. Look to this mighty Savior who is able to save, willing to forgive, merciful, gracious, compassionate, and patient with you, and rejoice in the fact that you know him. Rejoice in him. And if you don't know him, come to him. Come to him in faith. Trust he will forgive you. He says he's willing if you'll come. And listen, if you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Come to him. He's no liar. He will not trick you. He won't cast you away. In closing, the ancient rabbis said that it was just as hard to cleanse a leper as to raise the dead. And neither of those things are a problem for the only begotten Son of God. Christ can heal lepers. Christ can raise the dead. More than that, Christ can and will save sinners. He can make spiritual lepers clean. May God give us hearts to believe this and rejoice in believing. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for this blessed account of Christ healing a leper and all the spiritual truth that's here for us. God, may your name be praised as we meditate on this truth that you've given us a Savior who's mighty and willing. God, I pray you'd seal this text to our hearts. Help us to rejoice in knowing him. If there are unbelievers among us, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to Christ, that they would come to this great physician who's able to heal them of their spiritual sickness, of their sin, and make them new, and let them join the people of God. God, I also pray that we wouldn't be in one regard like this leper who walked away from the grace of Christ and walked right into disobedience. 
God, as we, as we see this leper and his disobedience, we're disgusted that he couldn't obey a simple command of Christ. And yet, Lord, we're no better. So I pray that you'd seal our hearts to yourself and help us to walk in obedience. But Lord, I pray also you'd make us like this leper in one regard, that we would be willing and excited to tell people, Christ healed me. He can heal you. Look to him. God, give us the evangelistic zeal of this leper, though it was misguided for him at the time. But God, we rejoice in our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus, who has made us clean. We thank you for him, and may you be glorified forever. We pray this in his name. Amen.